And I just want to let you know that we are starting a new sermon series. We have finished our book study of the book of Hebrews. And now we're starting a new series entitled The Theology of the Hearer. And how many of you ever heard a series on the theology? Don't raise your hand. The theology of the hearer. Um, most of you probably have not because I just made it up. Um, and so that's what we're doing uh, over the next nine weeks. The theology of the hearer. If we can get that slide up there, that would be great. Uh, the theology of the hearer is what we're going to be um, doing. Just real quick, can you guys get Dan? Can you make sure Dan? Where's Dan? Okay, all right, tell Dan that we're ready for him, okay, before we begin. Um, So I just want to give you a heads up before we navigate through this for the next nine weeks. I just kind of want to let you know this is different, a different type of series that we normally do. Usually we do expositional series through a book of Scripture, right? How many of you have been here for a while? You go through either a portion of the book or the whole book or some part there within. And we usually work verse by verse and chapter by chapter uh, through that particular book, learning uh, those truths. And so... Uh, what we what we um, are doing this time is we're doing something a little bit different in that we're doing a thematic series. Isn't that neat? A thematic series, a theme series, which means specifically that we're going to be looking not just at certain passages, but we're going to be looking at the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation and find out what the whole Word of God says about one specific area. And that is specifically of hearing the Word of God. And more specifically, catch this, hearing the word of God as it's being preached, like this morning. Now, some would sit there and go, what? We're, we're actually going to be learn how to listen to you preach? What is this? Why in the world would that be necessary? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. I think one is, is because of preparation. Um, I think it's my conviction that I don't think you absolutely have to go to school and get theological education to be a pastor, but it is my strong conviction that you should. Okay, you with me? Don't think you have to, but I think that you should. Now, if you're unbelievably brilliant... Um, which I am not, uh, then maybe that's going to work for you. But uh, for most can't. Here's why I say that. And some people really have a hard time with that. But let me explain. If you're going to go to a doctor who is going to work on your body and your body is only temporal and you're going to die and go away, but your spirit is eternal and you will live forever somewhere, then the guy that's messing with your spirit and your soul, he needs to go to school and learn something, right? You with me? Okay. Uh, and so I just think that that's something that is very important. Now, here's the, here's the key. You, we go off to Bible college, and then you go off to seminary, which is another three years, another 97 credit hours. And then you go and do your doctoral work, which is another three, uh, three years full time. And so you do all this. And the reason I do it is for money. Um, you, just, just, you, you, go, you go through all this, and basically, at least my tracks were on expository preaching, how to preach the Word of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, dude, you need to get your money back. Something ain't working or, or whatever. But here's, here's the real point that I'm trying to get to you. All that time was spent of trying to do this one thing called preaching. To get the text of Scripture and to be able to preach it accurately to those who are sitting out here. So I've gone through all that training, listened to all those different books, went through all the different language studies. And here's the deal. You've never learned how to listen. I'm, I've gone through all this training to say something and you've gone to no training except on how to listen. So you might sit there and go, well, wait a minute. I've been in training all my life on how to listen. You want to bet? You're not a good listener. I can prove it. Some of you have been in church for 20 years. I bet you, you can't name five 
sermons that you've heard and really be able to walk through those five sermons for me out of hundreds of sermons that you've probably heard. Most people could not. And you know what's amazing to me is the reason that we also know is you can look at a health of a church and you can... This, this happens quite often for me. Monday comes, people call, I've got to talk with you now. Sweet. I love that. I love talking with you guys, meeting with you guys, seeing what the Word of God says. And so we get together and here's the deal. You come to me and you're like, here's my problem. I'm like, were you in church Sunday? Yes. You do know that that's what the whole subject was about, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't listening. I was so consumed with what was going on, I wasn't listening. And so these types of things happen all the time. So what I want to do as your pastor, because how much I love you, and I'm tired of people sleeping when I preach, uh, what I want, just joking, what I want to do over the next nine weeks is to do everything I can to help you become better listeners of the preaching of the Word of God. And it is absolutely essential. We're going to talk about why that is so essential. Did you, know, did you know that the Bible says three to four times more about hearing the preaching of the Word and how we respond to it than it does actually on how to preach the Word of God? There's far more about listening than there is about preaching. That's an amazing thing. So I want to take you through next 12 weeks. And what we're going to do, uh, and I'm just going to let you know, this is, not, uh, this is not apologetic. I'm not apologizing for this. But this is much more heavy theology, okay? Ugh. Oh, theology. He said theology. I'm gone. You know, no. Look, all theology means is that we're going to learn about God. That's what it means, what the Bible says about God. So, but here's the deal is I'm going to have to take a lot of different pieces from a lot of different places. And what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to work you through something and to get you to a certain place as the word dictates that we do, okay? So the first, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you over the next uh, nine weeks, watch how cheesy this is, to help you listen better over the next nine weeks, I'm going to give you nine hearing aids. I so don't do these cheesy things if you've never been here, but somebody suggested that I did. So nine hearing aids is going to help you to learn better uh, how to listen to the Word of God. All right, here's the first hearing aid. I can't even pull that off. I might have to change that. All right, here it is. God speaks. You're going to become a better listener if you realize and will learn that God speaks. Okay, and so what I want to do is I want to give you three truths concerning this overarching idea that we have a God who speaks. Truth number one, God has spoken to his people in the past. Look at chapter one and verse one of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Underline that, circle it, do whatever you have to do, star it. God spoke. Huge, huge. This is unbelievable, unbelievably significant. You know that there are some that do not believe that God spoke. Atheists do not believe in a God, so therefore they don't think he spoke. Um, there are deists who believe that there is a creator God, that, that God basically created the world and basically spun it, got it into motion. I think God is this, this kind of God that just sits back and lets us do whatever it is that we're going to do and just lets us do our own thing. But that is completely, and what their idea is, is if we're going to learn anything about this God, the deist says, the only way we can learn of him is through our reason and our rationale, if we just reason him out. And so here's the deal. That's not what the Bible says. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. That's not how it pictures our God. Uh, the way that the Bible pictures our God is it says, uh, well, let me say what the difficulty is that is, to discover God simply through our reason. Now, stick with me. Usually with our reason really entails our senses, touch, taste, feeling, smell. Those, that's how we learn. That's how we analyze things and reason things out of how they look. 
Now, if you were going to use your senses to reason about who God is, your understanding of who God is is going to be very limited. There is something called general revelation that we talk about in theology. That is that God, the creator, that in, in the Psalms, it tells us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? So that means that we look around and we can learn something about the creator God just by the fact that there is the creation. So we see that there is a creation. So therefore we know that there is a what? Creator, right? We, we, we see the beauty of his creation and we understand that we serve a beautiful God. We, we feel the power of the lightning and hear it in the rumble of the thunder that shakes you and makes you run underneath your bed, right? And in that, we understand that the God who created that is obviously what? Powerful. We sink our teeth into a Krispy Kreme donut, which all of those, believe it or not, came from the earth, all the ingredients in some way or another after they've been abused. And you taste that Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme donut and you sit there and say, God is good. Yes. Right. And so God is good. So there's things that we can learn about our God there. But here's the deal. Because our senses are limited and God is not limited. And because our senses are physical and God is spiritual, what we know about our God is quite limited. Because we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't smell him. We can't take, we can't do all that. We can't use our senses to derive. So here's the deal. Contrary to the atheists and the deists specifically, all we can know about God, if we're going to truly know who he is, if we're going to know what he's like, if we're going to know what he desires from us, it's going to have to come from him. He is going to have to, the creator God, he's going to have to speak to you and I. And what the scriptures say right here is that, guess what? Here's the good news. God spoke. God spoke. And so here's the question that comes around my mind is this, is why in the world does he speak? Why in the world does God speak? First thing, stick with me. It gets a little cloudy here. First of all, because it is his nature to speak. It's consistent with his nature. We serve God, right? And we serve a triune God. Still with me, right? I lose you already. All right. A triune God, which means that he is one God, three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. It's hard to get, we call it the Trinity. It's hard to get your arms around, isn't it, church? Hard to get your, one God, three persons, what? It's hard to kind of, to really work your way through that. But it is how God dictates or shows us or demonstrates what our God is like. So by his very nature that there are three persons in one God, by his very nature, we say that he is communicative because that's how he exists, because there's three persons. So what they do is they communicate one with another. We see this very clearly in the word of God. For example, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us create man in our own image after our likeness. Did you catch that? Let us create man in our own image. Who are they talking to? They're not talking to man. Man hasn't been created yet. So who are they talking to? They're talking to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're communicating. Why? Because by their nature, they are communicative. It's kind of like this. God communicates because he's communicative by nature. All right. We say we sin. Why? Because we are sinners by nature. We sin because at our very, well, not now that we become faith in Jesus Christ, but before we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we sin because by our nature, we are sinful. Well, guess what? God communicates because by his nature, he is communicative. And the fact that he is one God, three persons. Now stick with me. 
It's by his nature. It is what he does. It's who he is. Now, he also communicates because it is his desire. In John chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus is meeting with the woman at the well. Do you remember this? Meeting at the woman at the well, and they're going back and forth. And Jesus says to her specifically, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen to this. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking worshipers that will worship him, what church? In spirit and what? And in truth. What does that mean? Well, when God created mankind, he created them for a purpose, not for them to please and worship themselves, but to worship God. To worship God. We are created to worship him. Your kid sister goes, I don't know what to do with my life. Worship him. And all that you do, that's why you were created. So that's established. But with the fall, we begin to create or we begin to worship ourselves. And so when Jesus comes along, he says the father is pursuing and seeking out people that will worship him. But here's the key. He wants them to worship in spirit. That means through the spirit of God being regenerated through the Holy Spirit. And that means also catch this in truth. In other words, God doesn't want you putting up a picture of a donkey and worshiping him and going, this is what God looks like a donkey. Do you think God takes any pleasure in that? No. God wants you and I to see him for who he is accurately, for what he has done to worship him accurately. He wants us, when we ascribe worth to him and say, God, we thank you for this is what we do, that we're actually thanking him for something that he's actually done and praising him for who he actually is. And so God says, I want you to worship me. So he speaks to us. One is because it's according to his nature. Two is that his desire to communicate with you, to tell you about himself so that you can be right with him and to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, here's the, that's the first question is why does he speak? Second question then is how does he speak? Well, notice what the word of God says again in verse one. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways... Well, this is how he speaks, first of all, many times. Now, that, that phrase there, many times, literally means many portions, which means this, is that God communicated to man in little bits and pieces over a, lot, over a large, long period of time. In other words, he would give a little bit and reveal a little bit of who he was to one person. Then time would go by and he would give a little bit of who he was and what he was going to do to another person. Time would go by and he'd give a little bit to another person. There was never one time that he gave all of the revelation. It was always in bits and pieces over a long period of time. Let me give you an example of this. For example, when he goes to Abraham, he reveals to Abraham what? That he has a plan to redeem mankind and it's going to use a nation. And he's going to make that nation great. Still with me? Then he goes to to Moses and he reveals to him the law, right? So he gives him another little bit and piece. Then he goes to David and he tells him what family that the Messiah is going to come through. Then in Jonah, he reveals how the Messiah is going to redeem mankind. And that is through his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see that? He didn't give everybody all the revelation of who he was, what he was like, and what his plan like to one person. He gave a little bit to a lot of different people over a long period of time. So how does he speak? He speaks in many times, and then catch this, in many ways. This means that he spoke using different means, right? One of those ways that he spoke was by, he spoke audibly, okay? He spoke audibly. In Genesis 2, verse 16 through 17, don't try to get all these down, you'll, you'll cramp up, okay? Uh, in 2, 16 through 17, just, just sit back and just enjoy, right? Too bad, uh, 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 you guys, you probably type A's, I know, you're just sticking the, 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 the thing in your eye, aren't you? All right, don't do that, put it down, don't hurt yourself. Uh, in 2.16, God warned Adam and Eve in an actual audible voice, said, do not eat of this tree, of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. 
and the day that you do, you will die. He said that with his own voice. He communicated to them audibly. Then again, we see in the word of God in Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him. Notice this in Exodus 33, 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That had to be something, right? Then we see in Matthew 3, verse 17, at the baptism of his son. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So he spoke in many ways. One of the ways was just literally using his voice. Now, I want you to understand this. That was very rare throughout the word of God. It's very rare in word of God of all the time that the Bible says he speaks, that he ever audibly used his own voice to speak to mankind. Very rare. Now, there was another way that he spoke, and that was through prophets. Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 13, the prophet Micah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will do. In other words, I'm what he says, or that I will speak. He goes, I'm only going to speak the words that God tells me to speak. That's what a prophet does. Numbers chapter 22, verses 37, uh, in verse 37, there we've seen King Balak and the story of Balaam. And, you know, the story of Balaam and the donkey, most of you do. And there is a time where the king wants Balaam, who is a prophet, to say words of cursing and to curse the Israelite people. And so Balak wants to pay him, calls him, wants to pay for him if he'll do this one thing, but he can't do it. And then you see this conversation. He says, did I not send for you and call for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? In other words, aren't I able to give you money to curse them? You didn't curse them. But this is a Balaam's response, the prophet. Behold, I have come to you. I have, uh, he goes, have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my, uh, my mouth, that must I speak. Do you see what's going on here? Okay, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 through 20, just stick, stick with me. He says, I, just as God's speaking about prophets, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in their mouth and he shall speak in my name. And I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of, of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So God says, I'm going to set apart a man, a prophet that is going to speak on my behalf. Now, listen to what a theologian by the name of Wayne Gruden says concerning this, okay? Now, follow very carefully. He says, It is evident that although these are human words, spoken in ordinary human language by ordinary human beings, the authority and truthfulness of these words is in no way diminished. Did you get that? It is no way diminished. They are still completely God's words as well. This is what I want you to get from here. God has spoken... He has, one of the ways he spoke was audibly to his people with his own voice, very rare. Another way that he spoke, far more common in the Old Testament, was through his prophets. They would speak the very words of God. But here's what I want, don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss that there is no fall off in authority or demand or truth when the man of God speaks on behalf of God and speaks his words truthfully. They are just as binding. They are just as authoritative. They are just as truthful. It's just a different means by which God chooses to speak. Now, let me give you one more quick example of how God spoke. There's many other ways, but he also spoke through angels. In Luke chapter 1, verse 9, God sent an angel to Zechariah. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was set to speak to you and bring you this good news. Now, remember the story of Zechariah. He is going to be the father of John the Baptist, right? And so there he is, he and Martha, old dude, right? He's the high priest. He goes in uh, to make sacrifices. And so he's in there. An angel shows up, Gabriel, and says, dude, you're going to have a baby. 
And it's not going to be the Son of God, but he's going to be the forerunner of the one who is to come. And he's like, mm, I don't think so. There's just no way, dude. I'm way too old. You know, have you seen my wife? There ain't no way. And, and, and so what happens is, is that the angel just sits there and, and he judges him. And he says, because of your unbelief, he goes, you will not be able to speak until this baby is born. So you've got nine months, buddy. Or 10 months. I don't even know how that really works. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, you got nine, 10 months, whatever it is, it, you know, where this, that this child, uh, that you will not speak during this whole time. Well, this is Hendrickson kind of gives us this insight of why this angel did this. Uh, Hendrickson is a commentator. He says, Gabriel is conscious of having delivered God's good news, bound to be fulfilled when the appropriate season arrives. Notice, and because Zachariah has called in question a wonderful gospel promise that sprang from, listen, from the heart and mind of God himself. He he deserved to be punished. So what I want you to see is God, even though he is speaking through a different means without his own voice, he is speaking through that that angel. And what is being spoken is equally true, equally powerful, equally binding, and equal authority on those who hear his word. No matter how it's old, he has chosen to ultimately believe it. To believe it means blessing. To disobey it means judgment and cursing. You guys follow me with that? So what we see is that God has spoken from the past. In the past, he has spoken to his people. Major point number two. You guys are awesome. You guys are so much better in the first group. I mean, I mean, okay, you're worse. Would you rather have? Okay, I'm just kidding. So, but they come earlier. All right, second major point. Stick with me. Some of you are like, dude, you're killing me. Why couldn't we have talked about finances? We'll talk later. All right, number two. Here we go. God has spoken most clearly and fully through his son. Amen. Notice what the word of God says. I love this. He says, but, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the word. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who was the son of God. We use the word incarnate God. That is God became flesh. Right? Philippians chapter 2. He came down, stepped out of heaven, put on a, 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 a physical body, became man, fully God, fully man, became flesh, and dwelt among us. Right? And so what he's saying is this. Listen, the Hebrew writer, catch this. Don't miss this. He says, God has spoken in many ways over a long period of time. Many ways and at many times. And he goes, but then he spoke and he gave bits and pieces of who he was and what he desired. But then one day, he tore back the curtain and he dumped the whole wad of revelation right there for all to see in his person of Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to know who, what God is like, if you want to know what he desires, if you want to know the truth that rests in him, if you want to know his plan, it's in my person, Jesus Christ. It's the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that needs to be known is found in him. We see this in, in the scriptures. He says he was the radiance of the glory of God. This means that much like, much like the rays of the sun demonstrate the glory of the sun itself, so Jesus revealed the actual glory of God. Then we see here, he says that he was the exact imprint of that nature. We see that in this verse, in verse 2. And he says, and what that means is this, is that the exact imprint actually refers to a stamp or a die that was used to seal a letter in wax. In other words, the wax would be dripped on a sheet of paper. You would take the stamp or die, you'd stamp it in there, you'd pull it back. And he goes, Jesus is that stamp. 
He's the imprint. He goes, here's God, the stamp. And he goes, his son is the exact image and likeness of the father. And so Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul says, For in him, meaning Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells within him. Speaking of God. John 1, 1, catch this. Paul, uh, John does this neat thing where he calls Jesus the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So the Greek word there is logos. Don't worry about that. But it's just the Word, just like a regular word. But why does he call him the Word? What does the Word do? It communicates something. So in, actually, in all actuality, what he could have said is, in the beginning was the communication, and the communication was with God, and the communication was God. What was he communicating? God. Jesus came to this earth to show the world what God was truly like, and all of his glory, and all of his wonder, and all of his might, what he desired, what he wanted, and how he would ultimately redeem mankind was all revealed in the coming of the person of Jesus Christ. That's why in John 14, verses 8 through 9, Philip said to Jesus, I love this. You know, the disciples are always asking Jesus for these outrageous things. Like, he's like, hey, listen, uh, when are we going to go and start ruling and reigning? Uh, hey, I only got one question is, you know, there's 12 of us, but just make sure that me and my brother uh, rule on your right and your left side when you sit on your throne. We'll get these little thrones next to you, right? So they're always asking these outlandish things. Philip, again, in John chapter 14, <laughs> pulls the same nonsense. He says, Lord... Show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Don't you love that? Just show us God, and that's enough for us. We'll believe. Everything else will be okay, right? And so Jesus sits there, and he goes, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Listen to this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Why? Because God revealed everything about him and his redemptive plan for mankind and all we will know about God in that moment, that he would reveal to us here at that moment and at that place. Okay? And it was ultimately what? Recorded in the word of God. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So we see that God has spoken in many ways in the past, spoken to his people in the past. We see that God has spoken most clearly and fully through his son. And here's the last point. Here it is, is that God speaks to us today. Isn't that exciting? God speaks to us today. Now, before I really get into this, uh, let me say this is that there are all kinds of different ideas floating out there about this idea of God speaking, all right? I know people that literally talk about God speaking to them every second of every day, and they're like having this conversation. They're like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, no, that was good. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, yeah, we talk all the time. Can, can you hear? You can't hear as well. Now, okay, let me, let me, let me, start, let me start by letting you know what I don't mean. Before I tell you what I mean, okay? When I say that God speaks to us today, I do not mean that God continues to provide new revelation to us concerning himself. I do not mean new revelation. In other words, stick with me, track with me, okay? Here we go. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like when God first told Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation and those nations that would bless him, he would bless and those that would curse him, he would curse. That was new revelation, Nobody had ever heard it before. That was big time, first time, okay? When he comes to Moses and he says, here are the Ten Commandments. Here you go. That's new revelation, fresh off the presses. Had never been delivered before, okay? What we believe and what the Word of God, I believe, teaches through the teaching even of Jesus Christ is this, is that when Jesus Christ came, there was nothing left to be said. 
that when Jesus Christ came, now follow me, you got to say this very carefully. When Jesus Christ came, he was the full revelation of God. He either was or he wasn't. About who God is, about what he requires, about what is going to ultimately happen with us, and so on and so forth. And those truths were laid out, stick with me, in the New Testament. The Gospels tell us about the story of his coming and his life. The epistles tell us about the outcome of his life here on earth, what happens after he leaves. And the book of Revelation is the culmination of all that happens in the future with Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, does it not? So it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is about what? Jesus. It's all about the promises of God of one who is coming. The rest is the fulfillment of Jesus until the time that we are with God. We get a new heaven, new earth, live and worship for him for all eternity. Okay. So what happens is we see these two kinds of things. So when we say new revelation that God speaks, we're not saying that he's giving us something that has, that is being revealed now that has never, ever been revealed. It's fresh stuff. Here's why people have a problem. There's something in us that sister goes, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of him not giving us new stuff. I don't like that. You say, can you ever prove that through the word of God? Well, let me give you a time where people, God failed to speak and give new revelation. Remember the Old Testament. You guys are doing so great. In the Old Testament, God spoke. At the end of the book of Malachi, we don't hear anything for a period of 400 years before the New Testament, before John the Baptist comes calling as one, crying out as one in the wilderness, right? Preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness. So we see the Old Testament. Well, for that 400 years, which is known as the intertestamental period, God says nothing. What were they supposed to do? God, you're not speaking. We need a word. What were they doing? They were going back to the word, to the Old Testament word. Their job was to read. It was to study. It was to understand. And guess what else in the Old Testament was filled? It was filled with promises and prophecies of something that was to come. They were not only supposed to study what had happened. They were supposed to study and prepare for what was about to happen. What amazing event, church, was about to happen? The first coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to look forward to his coming. That's exactly where we rest after the, after the New Testament. God has come. He has written in the book of Revelation, in the book of Thessalonians, in the book of, of Matthew. He has told us what? He has said, this is what has happened. Here's the point. Here's all the revelation. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. So now God, I have spoken through the word. So I've given you the word. You listen and you listen to what I've revealed to you already. You study what I've given you to, to study. And he goes, and now I want you to look forward to what? Not the first coming, but what? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all that I've revealed and all that I've told you in the word of God. Look, you'll know. And so he gives us these things. So what I don't mean is that he's given us some new revelation that has never been given. Let me tell you what I do mean. I do mean that God continues to speak to us through his written word. Through his written word. Through this text. Just as God had spoken audibly in the past, then spoke through Jesus very clearly through the word made flesh. So he speaks to us through his written word. Now, throughout history, God revealed himself to mankind. We know that God had men who were there who recorded the revelation and the writing of this book of 66 individual books that were placed together that were written over 1500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages, on three different continents. And here's what's amazing. Even though all of these men were from different backgrounds, to professionals, to fishermen, to whatever, to shepherds, all these different men who came together, 
They had one consistent theme throughout, even though they didn't know the whole picture. And that was the person of Jesus Christ coming and redeeming God's redemptive plan for mankind. And so what he did is he recorded that from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Now, this idea of God writing down, this is where I want to get you, is the idea of God writing down and the word of God being written down begins back in the book of Exodus chapter 31 in verse 8, 18. There it says that the Ten Commandments were written with the very finger of God. So God wrote his word in a bunch of stones. Moses himself was commanded to write down and read the commands to God's people so that they would obey. What did he write? The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The prophets were not only commanded to speak God's word, but they were to write God's word. Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah 30, verse 8, God commanded Isaiah, and now go, write it before them on a tablet, inscribe it on the book that it may be for a time to come as a witness forever. Forever. His word of God was going to be forever. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he states kind of how this happens. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, it's not because the will of man just chose to do it or to write it down or make it up. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So listen to what Mark Driscoll says, and he kind of explains how God worked in these men to produce the scriptures. He says, those men who wrote the Bible were providentially prepared by God and motivated and superintended by the Holy Spirit, spoke and wrote according to their own personalities and circumstances in such a way that the words are the very word of God. God's supernatural guidance of the writers and their situation enabled them to receive and communicate all God would have us know for his glory and for our salvation. When we talk about the writing of the scripture, we talk about the inspiration. The word inspiration literally means God breathed. Let me explain what this means. What this theologian, what Mark Driscoll is saying is he says, when these men wrote, God used their mentalities, God used their abilities, he used their background, he used their education, he used their verbiage, he used all that kind of stuff. And he didn't sit down and dictate the word of God to them. But the Holy Spirit came and moved on them. God breathed on them and breathed through them. And as they did, while they were writing the word of God, it was written exactly the contents, exactly the way that God had intended this book to be able to come together. That's what he desired. That's what he wanted. So this means something. This also means then that God's written word is just as authoritative as any other means by which God has spoken. Do you see where I'm trying to take you? From the beginning, we know that God has spoken. Why? Because of his nature, he is communicative. Apart from him talking to us and telling us about who he is, we would never have the ability to know who he is, how we can have a right relationship with him. We can't learn that by hugging a tree. We can't learn about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ by by surfing uh, at the beach. Uh, I wish you could, but you can't. So God had to speak these truths to man. And we know, church, that he did, did he not? He spoke audibly. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through angels. He spoke through many other ways through all this time. And now the good news is, as he speaks to us through the authoritative word of God. And here's what I want you to understand. It is no less authoritative. It is no less true. And it is no less exact than, the, than if God was speaking to you and I from his own mouth audibly. That's the conviction we're trying to get here at this first service. This is what Jay Adams writes. He said, it is as much as God's own word as if it was spoken audibly from his own mouth. 
If you were, if you were literally to hear God's voice, I love this. He would say nothing more, nothing less and nothing different from what he has said in this book. Isn't that awesome? It is to be read, it is to be heard, it is to be obeyed as fully as any literary breathed out words of God would be. He says, so this word, look, when we read, get, I don't think you're getting this, okay? When we read this, God in all authority is speaking to you and commanding you and commanding me to do and to believe and to place faith in him as though if he were to come down, grab you by the ears, look in your face and say, look, this is what I want you to do. He says, there's absolutely no difference. There's absolutely no difference. And you guys might remember a while back, and this is back a while back in the 1500s, 1600s during the little thing called the Protestant Reformation. During that particular time, there was the church had gotten out of control. The Catholic church began to basically teach that, that scripture um, was not held in his, uh, the, or, or the Pope in tradition would now supersede the authority of Scripture. So if the Pope believed something or said something that was contra- contradictory to the Word of God, then you were to believe the Pope. If tradition, if a Pope had said it from generations before that contradicted the Word of God, then you were supposed to go according to tradition and forget about the Word of God. And what happened? A mess. People began to believe that you had to pray to Mary to get through Christ. When all the times the word of God has said that Jesus is, there's one mediator between God and man, his name is Jesus. They begin to go to the church and they begin to think that every single week they had to take communion because Jesus' body was literally having to be crucified, crucified, crucified. When in the word of God, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he was crucified once and for all. And they were so deceived. They thought there was a second chance after death. They believed that if you could come and bring enough money to the church and lay it at their altars, that those that they love that died before, apart from faith in Christ, that they could ultimately buy their way out of hell or out of purgatory if you just had enough money to be able to do it. That God would forgive your sins if you would just kneel long enough and kneel and walk enough steps or if you would just confess enough meanless babble over and over and over again that God would do those things. And the Bible the whole time would say, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it was all there in the scriptures. And the men came back to them and they said, no more. They coined a phrase called sola scriptura. And they said this, and they said, nothing judges the scriptures, but the judges, the scriptures judge everything else. Why? Because they had a high view of scripture, which we're lacking today. You know, we're lacking it when people say less preaching, more music, more video, less preaching, less word. God only speaks when his word is spoken and taught and read. And I think that I feel so bad because there are some people that are asking this question. I think it's a good question. They're asking this. Can God speak to us in ways other than his written word today? Can he speak audibly to me? Can he speak to me through an angel? Can he speak to me through a dream? Can I just tell you that the very fact that we ask this question demonstrates our low view of this? The fact that our people are going around going, oh, God, just speak. Oh, God, just speak. I just wish he would speak. But never immersing themselves in the word of God 
teaches us that we have such a low view of this, his written word. Now, to answer the question, can he speak in these ways? He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But just because he can does not mean he will. And you say, well, why wouldn't he speak to me audibly? I don't believe he will. He does speak to you audibly. He said, why is that? First of all, it's very, very rare that he ever did. And secondly is, if he spoke to you, and if he had a right and correct view of the word of God, you would realize that the only thing he would ultimately say to you is exactly word for word what he's already written. Sound exactly the same. So people sit there and say, well, Brother Mike, and I think this is a true question. They sit there and they say, but, but what about when God told me to go and to witness to my neighbor? Well, what I would say to you is, was God speaking? I'd say, yeah. But I said that he was speaking to you accordance to what you already knew in his word. You would have never gone to share your faith with that neighbor if you didn't know about the Great Commission and the call for us to go. But what about that moment? Well, that's the unction of the Holy Spirit. We'll preach about that in, th- in, the, in the third week. That the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he works it in you and speaks to you. And he unpacks those truths on your life. And you sit there and you say, well, Brother Mike, what I really want, and this is what we're really wanting to know, is what about buying the car? What car I should buy? My, how far we drift. (laughs) But I think you should pray about your car. I think you should pray about the car. Right? But you say, but Hebrews doesn't say anything about my car. I can't find it. So what we do is we leave the Bible on the shelf and we keep doing our thing. But I'm telling you, the Bible says a great deal about what car you should, you should buy. And I think when you go to God, you bring everything into God in prayer and you sit there and go, God, I want to do what's pleasing to you. Then he says, the only way you know what will be pleasing to me and what car will be pleasing to me is for you to get in the word of God. You understand why you're here is for my glory, not for you, your own. You understand that what I have given you, I've given you as a blessing, but it always, it also is for the primary purpose of propagating the gospel throughout the whole world so that one day people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will glorify me and give me the glory that is due. And then you sit there, and then when you go to the car lot, that changes the way you buy a car. Can I please hear somebody say amen or yes or hiccup, yawn or something? See, here's the key. God says, you get filled up by my word. You study this. You learn this. You understand theology. You get it poured in your head. What I'm going to do is I'm going to change and radically change the way you think. So that now when you go and you do these things, you now think like me. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind because I have spoken to you and revealed to you what I want from you right here. Just don't, just dive in. And then this is how God works. You fill in with the principles of the word of God. And then as we're making these decisions that doesn't tell you whether to buy or not specifically and accurately, you look in the word of God. Then you pray, pray for wisdom. God, this is what you say. God, would you give me wisdom now to apply this to my immediate circumstance? But here's the deal. Whatever he says, catch this. Catch this. Please don't come and tell me this anymore. Don't come and tell me that God told you. Okay? Uh, God told me to do this. And, and, And this is what we get all the time. God told me to divorce him. Liar. God told me. To do this. And you know what I want to do? Where? Where does it say you be selfish? You tell me where it says that in the word of God. It doesn't. 
And what we're going to find out next week is this, is we're going to find out that there's another way that he speaks, but he also speaks through the preaching, the accurate preaching of the word of God when it's done biblically. When it's done biblically. And we're going to find that out. Here's the deal. Some people are sitting and they're upset because we feel, let me go over this very quickly. They feel in a sense, very quickly, as though they've been shorthanded. Uh, they feel as though, I wish I could live back in a time where God was speaking to me audibly. Because once again, remember, low view of scripture, we're ignoring it. We didn't understand that God spoke and he's spoken with the same power and authority in his word of God as if he was audibly. We've lost that. The church has lost that. And so what he's bringing us back to is this, is that we sit there and go, we are not at a disadvantage of having this. We would be at a greater disadvantage if we lived in the Old Testament when God spoke with us a little bit at a time every once in a while and occasionally. Why? Because they didn't have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We have it from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. His full revelation is found right here. Let me give you a couple of things very quickly. You can look it up on the web. I'm sure all of you will run home. Our server will crash because all of you will be getting these notes. We no longer have bits and pieces of revelation. We have the whole thing. Amen. Secondly, we have much more accurate preservation of God's word. If we went by only what we heard, how much do you think we would remember? What if God yesterday during the Gator game came and decided to speak with you? You'd be in big trouble. God, can you, can you give it a quarter? We're almost done here, right? Third, we have the opportunity for, for repeated inspection. One of the ways I know that we're bad listeners and we have terrible memories is because I could preach the same thing over and over and over again and we still don't get it. Yeah? Still don't remember yeah. Amen. Thank you. All right. And here's, I think one of the most important things we're able to convey to others with certainty. What we are saying is what God is saying. I mean, guys, don't check your brain at the door. When somebody says, God said, how do I know? When the preacher, and I'll go over this next week, when the preacher says, thus saith the Lord, let us move to Ganda and drink Kool-Aid. What do you do? Oh, well, he said that it was from God. You know, that's the big thing today, right? Everyone said, well, God told me. Well, if God told you, then you can't do anything about it. Would you do this? No, God told me. Oh, okay. Well, then there's no big deal. Don't you think God saw this coming? So what God says is, I'm going to give them a divinely inspired, infallible, and errant book where when somebody makes a truth claim, everybody else can check out what he's saying is right. God's no dummy. And we have a far greater accessibility to God's word that is in written form, not only for ourselves, but also sending it throughout the world. Let me close with this. So God has spoken in the past. He has spoken most fully through his son. And he's still speaking today through his written word. Here's the question. 1,500 years, 40-plus authors put the book together. God has completed the canon. All the revelation that we have and we will get on this earth is right here within the context of Scripture. And so the question is this. At this book that most of us have several of, many of them are more dusty than others, this book that we have that God has spoken to and speaks to us today, if nobody reads it, this kind of one of those, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, you know, that kind of thing, does it make any noise? Same thing. 
if we have this word and yet you and I don't read, don't preach, don't study, don't memorize it, is God still speaking? Yeah. He's speaking. The appropriate question. Are you and I listening? Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for this morning, and I thank you, God. There's so much text, so much work. and But, God, I pray that maybe even in some, their hearts are so stirred, and some might be sitting there and going, man, that was tough to get all that. They don't have to get all that. They don't have to get all that. It was never intended to get all that. What it was was to find ourselves through the Word of God, and if they could just walk away sitting there saying, God has spoken, He has spoken through His Son, and primarily He speaks to us through the Word of God today. And that is as authoritative if God was sitting down with me right now and whatever he's been telling me in my heart, it is God who is speaking. Whatever the word, I can't sit there and say, no, I'm going to reject you because that is that is directly against the clear word of God. God, if they would just feel the weight of the authority of Scripture, if they would just fall in love more with your word, if they would have a higher view of your word, then God, this message was worth it. God, as we respond, will we come and repent? Will we get tired of sitting there and saying, God, I'm so tired of taking reckless, just, just using your word recklessly, not looking at it, not delving in it, not reading it, asking you to speak when you have already spoken, God, let us begin with repentance. God, if there are any who are here, God, let them come to the realization of who Jesus Christ is. God, if they want to have a relationship with God, if they want to have a right relationship with him, God, let them come. We have counselors. We want to talk with them. We want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.